some of you this morning are the caricature that you just saw. Some of us this morning are inseparable from the sin that plagues us. Some of us this morning are stuck like there's a bonding of superglue between us and the sin that so often envelops our lives. So many of us, as I've said time and time again, end up being defined by those things. We're defined by those things that take us further away from the gospel. We are defined by those things that take us further from the presence of God. And yet some, through the power of Christ, through His divine work, through the work of the Holy Spirit, will be able to part with their sin, will be able to say good riddance to their sin, that will be able to be redefined and renewed in the person of Christ. And still there are others that will toss the truth aside. There are others who will embrace the sin that so often has enveloped them, that has defined them, and that has been inseparable from their existence. And so they continue to journey in a way and in a willingness that is completely in direct opposition to the freedom that God gives through Jesus, to the freedom that God has given through the work of the cross that we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday and the power to say goodbye to death and hello to life. And yet, the God who is the creator of all things, who loves the praises of His people, who enjoys the praises of His people, He is still on His throne. And so the question, one of the questions that I think we should venture to ask today and venture to peek at is, is Christ on your throne? Is Christ directing your life? Are all your praises and all the attention that you give to spirituality, are you defined by Him? Are you defined by the circumstances? See, because the amazing thing is, I know that many of you have a sad story. Many of you uh, have a journey that you're not proud of. And there's, there's moments of that journey that you want to celebrate and you're more than willing to talk about. And there's other aspects, we all have this, uh, other aspects of the journey that you would just soon forget about. And I want to speak today uh, to students in particular, to young people in particular, and, and maybe some older adults, and, and say this. That some of you have come from good homes. Some of you have been blessed with great godly parents or godly guardians. Some of you grew up in environments where you were in church and they supported you and they encouraged you and you were so out of touch with the reality of today's generation or out of touch with the reality that so many of you in the school system see on a daily basis that we have a lot of kids who have been forgotten by the parents that birthed them and forgotten by the very people that should be the stability and support. And so the American teacher has become not only an educator, if they can, they've also become a test regulator. Uh, and, uh, and the bigger issue is they have to do parenting. They have to do parenting. You can't expect to invest in a child's life six hours or seven hours a day and expect them to live in the fruit of what that is when those students don't live with those teachers. So the problem with education today, I'm going to chase this rabbit, and I didn't expect to say this, the problem with education today 
is the same problem in the family today. It's not the teacher. The problem in education today is that we have too many students who have been left behind and forgotten by the people that were instilled by God. They birthed them. They were instilled by God to direct their paths so that their paths could be straight. Some of you grew up in homes where that's exactly what I'm describing. Your mom, your mom's an addict. Your dad, you may not know. Some of you grew up in homes where, listen, your parents may have had the best intentions, but they have drastically fallen short of what you know would be a good home. And the interesting thing is, I don't, you know, you don't have to sit there. I don't think anybody sits there and wonders whether they had a good home or whether they have a good home. You know whether you have a good home or whether you don't. And there are stories of people that will use their home life and they'll use that as an excuse for whatever behavior that they have. And the reality is, we're, not, we're without excuse. The divine God of this universe takes interest in our situation. The God who created the heavens and the earth and suspended them in space is a God who is intimately aware of your issues and your issues and your issues and your issues and my issues. And He wants to have and to be our audience. He wants to be able to bask in the praises of people. So whether we had good home or bad home, whether we have a good situation or a bad situation, it should not minimize the fact that He is worthy of our praise. Because here's the thing, if you're here this morning and you come from a bad background, you say, what can I thank God for? You're in this place. You're with a people who love God. You're with a people who love you. You're with a people that will do anything for you. There are so many of us here at First Baptist Church that we give you the shirt off of our back. But in order to do that, we have to know your story. We can't assume and you can't assume that everybody knows our story or our background. In order to help you, we have to know where you've come from. We have to know what problems you're facing. And what you in turn will find out is we face similar problems. We may look fine, we may act fine, but there are many of us in this room, in this very room today, who are struggling on the inside with who they are, who they are in the presence of the Almighty God, who elicits our praises, who desires our praises. Israel, the people of God, were not a faithful people. They were what I would call uh, prehistoric Southern Baptists. And as prehistoric Southern Baptists, they made bad decisions. They were defined, and I'm not saying that the, the, the only prehistoric Christians were Baptists, but you'll get it for the illustration. Some of you will take that sound bite run with it. You'll tweet it, Instagram it, and everything else. And some of you kids will be taking my picture up here and all kinds of little funny statements. I know, I know how that works. Uh, but at, at any rate, we are a people that struggle just like the people of the Bible. The Israelites often messed up. The Israelites were often in a culture that was completely detached 
from the presence of God. The Israelites committed sin in many ways that would make ours uh, look like leave it to beaver. Uh, the Israelites committed sin that would make ours look like it's good. The Israelites were a people that forgot God constantly. They forgot God when they were abandoned by Him or they believed they were abandoned by Him as they were taken in exile. That's what most, many of the Psalms are about. It's, it's, God, why have you done this to me? Why have you allowed this to me? How many of you pray prayers like that? We all have. We've all wondered from time to time, God, why are you doing this? What are you trying to show me? Why are you allowing me to have to deal with the stuff that I'm dealing with? Why could you not have given me this? Or why could you not have given me that relationship? Why is my mom so drunk and so drugged out? Why couldn't you give me a mom that cares? Why couldn't you give me a father that would be the man that he's supposed to be? Why did you put me in or allow me to be in an abusive relationship. Some of you know what I'm talking about because when you accepted Christ or when you're venturing in this journey to accept Christ, you have big daddy issues when it comes to understanding God as father because you've never experienced what a real father could be. But you see, God is father to the fatherless. The example is not me. The example is not Chris. The example is not one of our deacons. The example is not one of your Sunday school teachers. The example is not the educator that you see at school. The example is not the person that you think is a good Christian. The example, the standard by which everything should be measured is the most holy God. And he reveals himself in his word. I love Psalm 48. Because the first thing it utters on the page to us, and God, and I, I want you to think, and maybe you've heard this before, I want you to think of the Bible in particular as multiple love letters from God to you. I want you to think about love letters. Now, I know that a lot of people don't write letters anymore. Uh, and that's a shame. Uh, because there is nothing, listen, there is nothing more important than conveying a heartfelt message to people. And I'm sorry, this right here, let me see here. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Check your phone. Oh, and then Josh Sessions asked me, what up, playa? <laughs> awesome. This, listen, you want to throw something across the stage, don't throw the Bible. Make sure you have an otter box. Throw it. Get rid of it. This thing, this tool, we use it so much to convey messages. And we say, I love you, or I'm supporting you, I'm encouraging you. That is just tacky. Listen, I don't want to receive a message from you necessarily of encouragement I want you to tell me okay if I mean I mean listen I see couples all the time in restaurants and they'll be sitting there on a date so to speak it looks like a date to me even teenagers on a date and they'll be texting each other in the restaurant and I'm like can you not communicate is English a second language for you There is more to conveying encouragement and love 
than a text message. It's bigger than an email. See, email is like so 90s, okay? Email is done. We don't email anymore. We text message. We Instagram. We do all these, uh, all these uh, and, and every day there's more and more things and opportunities and technologies being created to occupy our time and to fill our phones and to fill our space in the hopes that we can get closer to each other. But do you realize in a generation in which technology has advanced us, oh, eons, eons forward, we are more lonely and deprived today than we've ever been. We have gone to the moon and back. We have conquered outer space, but we have not conquered inner space. The paradox of our lives is we have all these things at our fingertips and the more that we have, the more that we are distracted from the one who gives us purpose. We become, for instance, we become so accustomed to not raising a hymn book, we watch the screen. Ah. And when the screen goes out, what are we going to do? We're like the Israelites who said, I'm in a foreign land. We don't know how to worship when things are not at their optimal level. All you and I need, listen, you don't need a good mama. You don't need a good daddy. You don't need a good teacher. You don't need anything but God. That's all you need. That's all we need. And the first thing that leaps out on this page in Psalm 48 is the realization that our God is is great our God's great he is worthy of our worship he is worthy of our praise and he desires to be closer to us than anyone we've ever been close to he's not interested in what you say on Facebook he's interesting interested in you opening his book he's not interested in what you tweet about he's not interested in what you do on Instagram he's not interested in what you do in the technology he's interested in eliciting and gaining the praises of his people and he is not going to be satisfied until every single person on the face of this planet has come to the realization that there is a God and we are not him. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of praise. Our God is great. And he's done amazing things. And many people's stories this morning is that he's absolutely transformed their lives. He has altered the course of their story. He has altered the course of their testimony. He has altered the course of their life direction. If God has not altered the course of where you're going and where you're headed and where you've been, then you've missed out on the greatest opportunities that this life will ever afford you. And that is to know him and to make him known. Our God is great. But why is our God great? When you look, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in its loftiness, like the, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels when he has shown himself to be her fortress. Listen, God is all around us. You don't have to assemble in this place to experience the power of of God's grace, the power of God's love, and the power of who he is, of his presence. God is everywhere. The question is, 
Is he dwelling? Is the Most High God dwelling, living in you? Is he living in you? Have you called upon the name of our Lord? Have you asked him to come into your life? Have you surrendered your life to him? Is your life defined by him? Or are you so trapped and mired up and stuck to the sin that so often entangles our lives that you just can't get rid of it? And it has become not only a stumbling block, it prevents you from going any further on the journey. The weight, the weight, the weight of your decisions, the weight of your sin keeps you from being movable and shaken. The chains, the burden, the weight that's bearing down on you, the weight that you're holding, the weight that's crushing your very life is never going to be as heavy, uh, as heavy, it's never going to be as heavy or as torturous as the weight that Christ took on a cross for you. The weight that ties you down is never going to be heavier than the weight of the cross that has given you the potential to be freed. Do you know the Lord? Have you surrendered to Him? Because our God is great. Because our God is our security. Is God your security? For the Israelites, in verse 8 of the passage, it says, when the kings joined forces, when people assembled, and these are my words, but when people assembled and they advanced together against the people of God, they saw her and were astounded and they fled in terror. Trembling seized them, pain like the, that of a woman in labor. Now, if you're a guy, you have no idea what that's talking about. Okay, You have no idea what it's like. How many of you women believe that a guy has no idea what it's like to birth a, birth a child? Can I get a testimony in the house? Yeah. Uh, men, we are so pathetically whiny. We really are. I didn't ask for comments from the choir loft. <laughs> We're so whiny. We complain about everything. We get, oh, I got my little finger on a paper today, a cardboard. <laughs> I'm going to have to stay out of work for three days. Women bear children and are like, I'm working two days. Like, it's amazing. Uh, now, I have watched uh, videos of, of women in labor. Uh, I was forced to do this in, in high school. Let me tell you, kept me pure for a long time. Yeah, uh, that, that was very moving. Here's the reality. When the kings assembled around Israel, when they advanced together, they joined together to come against the people of God, even though that many times the people of God were outnumbered, even when many times when they would gather together with their generals and the leaders, they would say, we're outnumbered, we're going to be doomed. Listen, 
Israel had the one thing that mattered. They had God. And so when they took God into battle, when they listened to what God told them to do, when they followed suit with what he said to a T, they were victorious. When you and I go against the enemy, when things assemble around us, when we become defined by the enemy and defined by the enemy's work in our lives, when we are defined by the sin that is trapping us and keeping us from experiencing his truth, listen, as long as you and I have God, we don't need to be defined by anything else. We will be victorious. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Oftentimes, rather than being like Mel Gibson in Braveheart, we, as men of God and as children of God, are whining like many of the disciples when Christ was crucified. The odds were stacked against. They bought into the lie that Christ wouldn't show himself or reveal himself like they imagined he would. They thought that they would not be able to survive, and so they hid in fear. And so many of us are defined by our minds, logical sequence of things. We think, that'll never happen. That's impossible. There's no way I'm going to be able to overcome this addiction. There's no way I'm going to be able to overcome that. There's nothing I can do about my situation. I didn't have a good mama. I didn't have a good father. I had no good grandparents. No one cares about me. But I'm here to tell you, God is in your moment. He is in your situation. Don't be defined by your past. Don't be defined by your present. Don't be defined by your future. Be defined by Him. He will give you the strength. He will give you the grace. He will give you the power. He will give you everything at God's disposal so that we can be more than conquerors through Christ. Our God is our security. He is our fortress. He is our defender. He defends the weak. He defends the whiner. He's victorious over sin. He's not defined by the sin that he took on the cross. He's defined by the power of God in the moment of resurrection that gives hope to thousands of people. Does he bring hope to you? We will never, ever be able to have rest until we rest securely in him. So whatever it is that you're worried about, whatever it is that you've gone to him in prayer and that you've petitioned and it doesn't seem to be answered, understand that the solution to your situation, the solution to the prayer that you're asking for doesn't revolve and rest in the power of your decision or the power of your will or in the strength that you have. It rests in the sovereignty of the Most High God who's interested in acting in human history, who's interested in acting in your history, who's interested in your radical transformation. He wants you not just to survive. He desires you to thrive. Are you thriving in the sovereignty and the strength of the Almighty God? Or are you puny and whining and stuck in the midst of your sin? He takes interest in troubled people. He takes interest in the downhearted. 
He doesn't take interest in religious people that have all the answers. He takes interest in those who will humble themselves and seek his face and pray to him. And the Bible says in Chronicles 7.14 that if, if we as his people would humble ourselves and seek his face, he will hear from heaven. He will heal our land. He'll heal your story. It's not going to turn out like you thought. It's not going to fix everything. If you didn't grow up with parents or you're in a situation, it's not like mecca like a high, mecca honey ho, and immediately you have a father and a mother and a brother and a sister and you live the Hallmark movie channel of a family. That's not what it's about. Because listen, God doesn't want you to have a Hallmark family. God wants you to become a part of His family. He knows what's best for us. He knows what He can give us. He knows what you and I can handle. Do you understand that we can't handle anything by ourselves? We desperately need the grace of God. We desperately need Jesus Christ. We desperately need His Holy Spirit. And all He wants from us is our praise to Him. Thank you, God, for what you've given me. Thank you, God, for the blessings that you've given to my life. Thank you, God, for the friends that I have. Thank you, God, for the support that you give through people. Thank you, God, for being a father when I had none. Thank you, God, for being a mother when I didn't really understand what a mother is. Thank you, God, for being present when I felt absence from everybody else. Thank you, God, for showing up in extraordinary ways on ordinary days. Thank you, God, for all that you've done and what you're doing. Give praise to the Most High God because He is great. He is our security. And then if you look in verse 14, they say, For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our God ever or even to the end. In short, God completes us. If your life is a puzzle, and you've tried to assemble that puzzle with all the pieces. Some of you with a puzzle that got handed out to you at birth and a jigsaw puzzle of 100 pieces, you're missing about two-thirds of the pieces to make your life complete. Others of you are missing one piece or two pieces. Listen, it, do listen, it doesn't matter whether you're missing one piece or you're missing 99 pieces. If you're missing one, your puzzle is incomplete. Your life is incomplete. See, it doesn't matter the cards that you were dealt. It's not about what you were born into. It's about what you're born into in the kingdom of God. Because He completes the puzzle. No matter how much you're missing, no matter how much you're wanting, He satisfies our needs. We are never complete until we are completely given to Him. Our God must not be a suggestion. Our God must be our God. He completes us he sees us to the very end and then if you look in verse 13 he says in verse 12 walk about zion go around her count her towers consider well her ramparts view her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation listen this is what god wants that you praise him as you recognize that he is great as you recognize that he is our security 
We must not keep quiet about it. We must teach it to people. God must be our guide, and in Him being our guide, those are teaching moments. We must use our voices to tell others. We must use our story and how He has impacted our story of His great love and His work in our lives. We must share them. Why? Because there are generations upon generations upon generations up in that children's room that radically need to know how God has transformed our lives with the hope and the assurance that He will transform theirs. So... Is God great to us? Is God truly our security? And He is our guide. Is He our guide? Is He guiding our lives on a daily basis? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge Him in your ways, and He will direct your path. I want you to notice, notice Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as I piggyback on that with Psalm 48. Look at the action words in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust, lean, acknowledge. Trust in Christ, trust in the Lord, lean into Him. He wants you to lean into Him. He doesn't want you to stand like you know it all. He doesn't want you... Listen, you can be a valiant warrior of Christ. Listen, being a valiant warrior for Christ, being a woman of God or a man of God in Christ is not about having all the weapons at your disposal. It's not about puffing out your chest and talking about how tough you are and how great God is. It is about humbling yourself and allowing Him to lead in life's battle. Because listen, we don't win the battles because we showed up. We don't win the battles because we've been trained. We don't win the battles because we prepared for the war. We don't win the battles because of the armor. We win the battles because God shows up, period. He shows up in amazing ways. And He's there to help those of us who are weak. He's there to help those of us who are downhearted. He's there to lift up our spirits. And the reason He wants to lift up our spirits is because He knows that merely taking you from your circumstance and putting you in the best circumstance is not going to change who you are. It's not going to change how you perceive. Listen, listen. I know that we got googly-eyed uh, back in the 80s. I know you didn't because you weren't born yet. But back in the 80s when little orphan Annie came out and they did that remake of it, whatever, um, I know that we were googly eyed because we had a, a bad little situation, a little little redheaded Annie, and she was a little obnoxious little brat. Uh, but uh, you know, we got we got, we we were mesmerized by orphan Annie, and she was in a in a horrible situation with Carol Burnett taking care of her, who was a drunk. And then listen, listen, and Daddy Warbucks comes to save the day, and suddenly she moves from rags to riches, and her life is great. She gets to see the rockets and everybody else. She's so excited and enamored by her situation. That's Hollywood. That's not real. Because you can take people, listen, don't bind the lie that if you merely were transported from your situation to another, that that's going to fix you. The only thing that will fix you is not your external circumstances. It is the internal work of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit that transforms our lives. That's it. That settles it, whether or not you and I choose to believe it. It's His work. It's His work to quit praying 
for different circumstances and start praying for your life to be changed by Him. Quit focusing on coulda, woulda, shoulda and start focusing on, oh, yes, I can. Why? Because of the power of Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. We can do anything through the work of Christ. Our God must be our guide. Trust in Him, lean into Him, and acknowledge who He is. Why? Because our God is great. Our God must be our security. And our God promises to be our guide until the very end. Our God is not going to give up when you mess up. Our God's not going to give up when you fall. Our God's not going to give up when you stumble. Our God's not going to give up when you take a parking break or a temporary break. Our God never, ever, 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 non-infinitum, ever, 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 infinity plus infinity times to the power of infinity. Our God never gives up on people because God believes in you. Do you believe in him. Let's pray together. God, we come today in this place and Lord, we can think about the simple word of trust. And the question is, are we leaning into you? God, as the youth so eloquently did the skit today and they talked about, or they showed us what sin and how sin is always trapped in the midst of who we are until we're defined by Christ. Some of us are defined by our sin. Some of us are defined by other people's sin. But it makes no difference. Sin is sticking to us like super glue and is preventing us in this journey from living a life in the fullness of God. Lord, I pray in these moments of invitation that we will acknowledge you, that we'll trust in you, lean into you, and be defined by the almighty power of the risen Christ. Lord, as people come to this altar, as people's needs are met, as those who are hopeless and helpless and those who have been complaining and whining about this situation, thinking of God, if you just acted and, and just plucked them from where they are and put them in a better place or a better situation, that their life would be different. But Lord, I pray that so often as we look to the external, that you would infiltrate the internal heart of who we are and you would radically change us because real change, lasting change, eternal change occurs on the inside to the out, not from the outside in. God, for everyone in this room who is spiritually in a journey, and all of us are, we pray that you would help us along the way to make the right decisions, to be defined by you, to give praise to you, to find our security in you. We would find our rest and peace in you and in you alone. We would quit trying to worry about what other people think. We would quit trying to worry about what mom thinks or dad thinks or grandma thinks or grandpa thinks or a friend thinks or our boyfriend thinks or our girlfriend thinks or the person we sleep with thinks. It doesn't really matter. What matters is what do you think of us? And the overwhelming answer to that question is that Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ loves you despite you. He doesn't love you for where you are. He doesn't love you from where you've come. He loves you because His love is unfailing. His love is everlasting. Are you resting in Him today?
Father, in this invitation, may you use through the work of the Holy Spirit to draw people closer to you as people make decisions to trust in Christ, as they are redefined by your work in their life. Lord, may this invitation be an act of worship as we surrender our lives, submit our lives, humble ourselves, and come to Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.